Thank you to each one who participated in our service tonight. It's good to see so many people gathered here this evening. As these handouts are being distributed, let me just provide you with some introductory thoughts. First, I know that this is a long handout. Uh, it's actually 11 pages. And I uh, thought I'd write you a book tonight on, the, on Job. But the reason is uh, I wanted to look at the uh, speech of Eliphaz as a whole. And not divide up into parts because it loses something in my estimation in that way. I want to take the whole speech and then analyze it because at face value, when you read what these fellows have to say, it sounds pretty good. And so you say, well, what's wrong with that? And so tonight we want to look with, well, what's wrong with that? Where did Eliphaz go wrong in what he had to say? So we're going to look at uh, two chapters tonight. And I'm going to try to summarize them. And so tonight, I, in some of the places, I may just be reading the underlying section, not the whole verse. I'll be watching my clock to be sure we're out of here at 8. And so, depending on how things go, I may start just reading underlying sections. Uh, you can understand that. Bear with me. But I'll get you out by 8 o'clock by my watch, which at this point is 8.21. So... Uh, so I'm being held accountable by my watch, all right? So uh, that's, uh, that's my deal with you. So tonight, we look at the introduction. Last week, we noted that Job was asking the big why questions concerning his suffering. Eliphaz is confident that he knows the answer to Job's why questions. And furthermore, that he can deliver Job from his suffering. Key verse for this section is Job 5.27. Behold this, we have investigated it. Thus it is, hear it, and know it for yourself. Now, as we look at that one verse, we find out that Eliphaz is confident that he has thoroughly studied the very questions Job has expressed. Behold this, we have investigated it. Job, you're lucky. The very questions you asked, I've given that a lot of thought. I have studied this thoroughly. I understand the answers to your questions. This idea of to investigate, it's, a, it's an intensive word. It's to dig deep and to dig deeper still. It's, it's mining very, very, very deep into the earth. Joe, Alphaz is saying, I mean, I searched this thing out. I've given this a lot of thought. Alphaz is confident that his conclusion is correct. Thus it is. And I be... And it's true. So what I'm about to tell you, Eliphaz says, you can bank on it. This is, this is truth. This is the way it is. Eliphaz is confident that he has something worthwhile to say. So he says to Job, hear it. Listen to this. Okay, don't miss out on what I'm about to tell you. And Eliphaz is confident that Job will be profited if only Job will do what Eliphaz tells him to do. Know it for yourself. Okay, put this to the test, Job. Do what I tell you, and you're going to find out that what I'm telling you is the absolute truth. Eliphaz states that what he's about to say, Job will most likely not appreciate, but he wants Job to hear him out. And amazingly, Job does hear out Eliphaz. Job 4, 1 and 2. Then Eliphaz the Tamanite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? 
When Eliphaz thought that what he was about to say would probably not be well received, it was just about the only thing that Eliphaz got right. However, much of what Eliphaz has to say sounds very good initially. We can find a number of proof texts in the Bible that would seemingly support Eliphaz's main points. Upon further reflection, though, we can see how Eliphaz distorts what the Scripture teaches concerning suffering, and particularly the relationship of suffering to sin. Now, that is, sounds pretty bold on my part. And uh, I wouldn't be so dogmatic except that, and this is another key factor, Job 42.7 says this, And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, okay, so this is the person we're looking at, and after God spoke to Job, God spoke directly to Eliphaz and rebukes him and says, My wrath is kindled against you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So we know that what Eliphaz says is wrong because God says it's wrong. And it says that God is angered by what Eliphaz said. So we need to look at what Eliphaz says in that light, in, in that prism, in that grid. God says this is wrong and it angers me. So now we want to look at what seemingly sounds awful good on the surface and say, well, where was it wrong? And why would it anger God? So, theme. Eliphaz tells Job what Job needs to do. Transitional statement. What is it that Eliphaz thinks that Job needs to do that he is not doing? Now, each one of these main points is truth from Eliphaz's perspective. You need to understand that or you're going to get confused here. Because each one of these main points is from Eliphaz's perspective. Perspective. So, number one, Eliphaz thinks Job needs to practice what he has preached. A. Job has helped others in the past. These are all assertions of Eliphaz. Job 4.3. Behold, you have admonished many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your hands have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Job, you know better than this. You helped others... When they were in need, so you need to put in practice what you yourself have told others. Now Job needs to apply to his own life what he has taught to others. Job 4, 5. But now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. So he's, teach, he's, he's accusing Job at least of, if not being a hypocrite, of, of at least being inconsistent. Job, you've told people one thing, but now you're reacting in another. Number two, Eliphaz thinks Job needs to remember that people reap what they sow. Job 4.8, according to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Those who sow good deeds will reap God's goodness. Job 4, 6, and 7. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, 
Whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? Those who sow bad deeds will reap problems. Troubles come to those who sow trouble. Job 4.8 Those who plow iniquity and those who trouble harvest it. God himself brings judgment upon the wicked. By the breath of God they perish. And by the blast of his anger they come to an end. God is able to bring the low, bring low the strong and proud. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. So it's a poetic way of saying, you know, you can take the fiercest animal and God can humble them. Application. What Eliphaz says sounds an awful lot like Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Number one, it is important to understand the significance of axiomatic or proverbial statements, such as, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Okay? Uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Those are axiomatic statements. Those are general truths. Now, hang with me. Proverbs 22.6 is an example of an axiomatic statement. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Or early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. This verse is found in the book of Proverbs, not in the book of Promises. Okay? There is a world of difference between a proverb and a promise. A promise is something you can take to the bank. It's absolute truth. What is being said here is truth, but it's not a promise. It's, it's an axiomatic statement. Okay? We know people that eat right and they still get sick. But, generally speaking, if you eat healthy, you're going to be healthy. And if you eat unhealthily, you are going to be unhealthy. Okay? But, you know, you, you, you watch uh, Good Morning America or something, and they interview this person that's 102 years old, and they say, what's your secret? To live, you know, and they say, well, you know, I always ate eggs and ham and, and uh, lard and all this stuff uh, and, you know, smoke three packs a day. And, you know, they're going on. And, okay, they're the exception to the rule. The point is these are axiomatic statements. Proverbs 22.6 is understood as a general truth, not an absolute promise that always results in every instance. Rather, this is to be an expected result in most instances. We should not and cannot beat up people with axiomatic statements from the Bible. We must allow for exceptions to the rule or the norm. We should take great solace in the norm and not dread the exception. In other words, yes, that's a, a general truth that we can expect. That if we are ordering our life aright, we can expect that things are going to go well for us. However... 
God has not been unfaithful or lied to us if we have ordered our life aright and things are still going awry. No guarantees. Hopes? Expectations? You know, we can have the hope, we can have the expectation that our children are going to come to faith. And we should have that hope. We should have that expectation. But there are no guarantees. There's no absolute promise. God has not failed you. God has not deceived you if one of your children don't come to faith. But we expect that they will. There is a general truth that a person reaps what they sow. The absolute application of the truth is found in the life to come, not this life. Okay, so in the end, in the end, ultimately, that is true. The point is, Job is not reaping what he has sown. Job is not in this because of his sinfulness. It is not because of his wayward lifestyle. That's not what's going on here. Number three, Eliphaz thinks Job needs to trust Eliphaz in what he is saying and about to say. Eliphaz claims to have a special insight given him by God into Job's situation. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. At first, Eliphaz feared what this revelation came. And amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Eliphaz is saying, I had a, I had a vision. And when I first got this vision, boy, it shook me to the core. I, it, it was a frightening experience to come into an encounter with God. I was afraid. And Eliphaz recounts how he'd heard a voice. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Then God spoke to me, Eliphaz is saying. Eliphaz then tells Job what the voice said. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Application. We must always be on guard against those who claim to have a special word from God. Uh, people love to make those kind of claims, those kinds of assertions. God told me. God has shown me. God has revealed to me. I've had a dream. I had a vision. All these kind of things. Number two, obviously, Eliphaz did not initially have a word from God. For what he said about God was incorrect. The Lord said of Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. And I think here is the primary reason that God is so angered. Because Eliphaz is presenting himself as speaking for God. And he wasn't. What he was saying, he was saying, I am telling you, by God's authority. God told me to tell you this. And there is nothing that angers God more than someone who has the audacity to speak for God and say, God says such and such when God doesn't say it. He's angered by false prophets. 
You know, uh, I think of all the things in life, the thing that bothers me the most, that really gets under my skin, is if somebody misquotes me. If somebody uses me and says, well, you know, Pastor Reed said this, and I didn't say it. And they, they try to, to get an in, uh, a level of authority. He wants Job to cowtail to what he says, so he says, God told me this. God didn't tell him that. And all I'm saying to you is, our Christian bookstores, unfortunately, are filled with literature of people who are claiming to have visions and dreams and are speaking for God and the things that they're saying are false. You always have to be on guard against people that present themselves as religious and dedicated and committed and speakers for God. Next, Elavaz thinks Job needs to acknowledge the error of his ways. No man is righteous before God. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? God even finds fault with the angels in heaven. These are the assertions of Eliphaz. He puts no trust even in his servants against his angels. He charges error. So now Job takes this a step, excuse me, Eliphaz takes this a step further and says not only is there no human being that is acceptable to God, he says there's no angel that's acceptable to God. Well, that oversteps the, the bounds. There are fallen angels to be sure. But there are angels who have not fallen. But how much more Will God find fault with man on earth? Job 4.19 How much more are those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth? God brings His judgment on men because of their sin. Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces, unobserved. They perish forever. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? They die, yet without wisdom. Application. Sounds a lot like Romans 3.23 For all sin to come short of the glory of God. You see, there's a measure of truth in what is said in this particular section. As there is a measure of truth in a number of things that Eliphaz says, that's what makes it so confusing. If you talk about in the absolute sense, there is no one who is without sin. That's true. Number one, what Eliphaz does is confuse the immediate and immediate consequences of sin. Suffering has entered into the world because of sin. Mankind in general are sinners, and thus mankind suffers. That's a general truth in the Word of God. That is, that is true. Were it not for sin, there would not be the curse. If there would not be the curse, we would not have the difficulties in life that we do. But what Eliphaz does is take the truth that we're all sinners, and we all have done wrong, to now make it when we are experiencing hardships or difficulties, it must be because of the sin that is in our lives. Number three. Now, this is the rebuttal. That is not to say that every time you and I are suffering is because of a specific sin in our lives which we need to repent. We can find many examples of people who are suffering, who are sick, Because of their sin. David is one prime example. Psalm 32. 
David says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned to the drought of summer. Say, Allah, I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin unto thee. And thou, Lord, heardest when I called upon you. So, yeah, there are times in which we can be sick because of our sinfulness. It can be God's discipline. But that doesn't mean in every situation. That doesn't mean in every instance. I'll uh, pick up more upon that in just a moment. Next, Eliphaz thinks Job needs to realize that he cannot turn to anyone other than God for the answer to his questions. Now Eliphaz is going to reveal why all this happened to Job. Job's help can only be found in God. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? Job needs to understand the ramifications of sinfulness. For vexation slays the foolish man and anger kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root and I cursed his abode immediately. Job needs to understand that the children of the sinner come to harm. Job 5.4 His sons are far from safety. Job needs to understand that those who become wealthy through scheming will lose it all. His harvest the hungry devour and take it to a place of thorns. And the schemer is eager for their wealth. Job needs to realize that suffering does not just happen. For affliction does not come from the dust. Neither does trouble sprout from the ground. He says, difficulty doesn't just happen. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. Job, it's happening because of what you did. Four, Job needs to realize that suffering is inevitable for the sinful man. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Just as sure... As sparks fly upward, so too will these things come upon a sinful man. Application. How dreadful the implication is when Eliphaz states that harm comes to the sinful man. It is quite obvious that he is saying Job's children came to harm because of the sin that Job committed. For notice Job 5.4 at the top of the page. His sons are far from safety. Job, why did your children die? It's obvious. It's your sin. Now think about that. In all that Job is experiencing, in all that he's going through, there is a person who is sitting in front of him, counseling him, and consoling him with the thought, that Job, the reason your children died is because of your unfaithfulness. Number six. Eliphaz thinks Job needs to do what Eliphaz himself would do if he were in Job's place. Namely, repent. Job 5.8. But as for me, I would seek God. As if Job didn't. You know, Eliphaz says, if I was in your place, I would turn to God. He says, Job needs to realize that God is good, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth, 
He sends water on the fields so that he sets on high those who are lowly, those who are mourned, are lifted to safety. Job needs to realize that God brings harm to the ungodly. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd so that their hands cannot obtain success. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness. The advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. By day they meet with darkness and grope at noon as in the night. Job needs to realize that God always delivers his people out of the hand of the ungodly. But he saves from the sword of their mouth and the poor from the hand of the mighty. You see, God saves, God delivers. You know, these Sabaeans came upon you. That's not God. God doesn't act that way. God always delivers his people from harm. God always watches over. God always protects. It's the person who schemes whose wealth is taken away. Job, the reason that that God took away all your your wealth is because you got it through scheming. You got it through ill-gotten gains. It's obvious. Or it would never have happened. Application? This theology is commonplace. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you ever heard that one? How about this one? It's a plaque that's found everywhere. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Most people don't even know where it comes from. It's from Jeremiah 29.29. But what's it referring to? It's referring to the nation of Israel in the 70th year of their captivity. And God is going to deliver them from that captivity in 70 years. The prayer of Jabez, that was really popular a few years ago. However, it is not always God's will for all his people to prosper materially or physically. I can't just say that God's plans are to prosper me. I don't know what God's plans are for me. And I don't know what God's plans are for you. But that is the heart of the health and wealth gospel. And it's nothing new. It's found in the book of Job. It's, and uh, here it's taken out of context. Four. Sometimes God delivers people of faith. And sometimes God does not deliver people of faith. Sometimes God delivers people of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a beloved chapter. Mike's going through the heroes of faith. Appreciated uh, these lessons. And so we have these encouraging words. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, Obtain promises. Shut the mouths of lions. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. And that's where most people stop. In Hebrews chapter 11. If you have enough faith, you're going to do those things. You're going to meet that success. Everything's going to be fine. That's the message of Eliphaz. Just Believe God and all will be well. B. Sometimes God does not deliver people of faith. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release 
in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sworn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. These are still heroes of the faith. These are still people of whom the world was not worthy. They weren't delivered. They experienced scourgings. They were not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they were no less people of faith. You can't just assume by being a person of faith that you're going to be delivered from every hardship or difficulty. It just isn't the case. Because remember, Job is a person of faith. We start out with, he is the most righteous person on the face of the earth. God says that. Next, Eliphaz needs to, Eliphaz thinks Job needs to rejoice in his adversity when it brings him to a place of repentance. Job needs to accept God's discipline in his life. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Okay? Take your medicine like a man. Repent. Job needs to accept the fact that God brings pain through discipline, but also brings healing through restoration. For he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. Job needs to accept the fact that God, when God restores, all trouble is over. From six troubles he will deliver you. Even in seven, evil will not touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword. You'll be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. Neither will you be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine. Neither will you be afraid of wild beasts. Remember, each one of these is happening to Job. It was beasts that took his children's, uh, uh, excuse me, that uh, they encountered. For you will be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field will be at peace with you. If only Job will get right with God, Job will never have to fear his house being lost again. Job 5.24 And you will know that your tent is secure. For you will visit your abode and fear no loss. Remember, the house is, fell down. The winds blew them in. If you get right with God, you're never going to have to worry about another house being destroyed, Job. Listen to the next one. If only Job will get right with God, Job will never have to fear the loss of children again. You will know that your descendants will be many. Job? I feel for you. You lost seven sons, three daughters. What a shame. You get right with God, and that's not going to happen to you. You'll never have to fear that again. God wouldn't ever do that. If only Job will get right with God, he will never have to go through all this physical suffering again. You will come to the grave in full vigor. Job, if you would get right with God... You're going to die a healthy man. You're not going to have to worry about boils and all this kind of stuff. Just get right with God. H, if only Job will get right with God, God will comfort where he formerly disciplined and his hands will heal. Application? 
Sounds like a combination of a number of passages of Scripture. Psalm 119.71 It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. Hebrews 12.6 For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Hebrews 12.11 All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It is true that we can rejoice when discipline brings us to a place of repentance. The only problem is that God was not disciplining Job. It makes it clear in chapter 1. That's not what God's doing. He's not bringing Job to a place of repentance. Job has nothing to repent of. Eliphaz is ready to lead Job in a prayer. A repentance. And it thinks all will be well. Behold, we have investigated this. It's true. Hear it. Know it for yourself. Job, now it's up to you. Are you going to follow this godly wisdom and advice? Are you going to repent or are you going to sit here in your misery? Are you going to seek God or are you going to live independent of Him? Here's the altar call. Job, get right with God. And all the time, Job is right with God. Conclusion A. Eliphaz was sure that he had the answer to the why questions, but he did not. We need to be careful that we do not give overly simplistic answers to the why questions of life. We need to be ready for those who speak with a moral superiority, claim to have a special insight from God and corrupt his truth. But we need to be aware of the Eliphazes in this world. Somehow we have to keep a balance. He's a person who means well. He's a person who, is, who showed a great deal of patience with Job. But unfortunately, the things that he has to say aren't particularly helpful. D. God's discipline is appropriate. We do not fear harsh discipline when we are seeking to live for God. Here is our comfort, for at some level, we are all sinners. Okay? If there's anything that we need to go away from this passage, it's this. Every single one of us in this room is a sinner, without exception. Without exception. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I would even go so far as to say, to some degree, we're living in sin. To some degree, because none of us is really loving God with our heart and our soul and our mind. And we're going to be honest, we can look at inconsistencies. We can look at areas of struggle. We can look at times when we put ourselves or others before what we know God would have us to do. There's a difference, however, in that and in outright rebellion. In living in a defiant state before God. You see, I hope if you're here tonight, you're here out of a sincere desire to be in the house of God. And that there's a, a sincere desire to honor and glorify Him and to submit to His will. We all know the inner struggle that Paul talks about. When he says, those things I would not are the things I do, and the things I, I, I do are the things I wouldn't do. We all know the inner struggle. None of us are sinless. 
Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule who have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. A wise parent exercises wise discipline. What I mean by that is the discipline is appropriate for the disobedience. This passage means a lot to me because you've heard me say this before, but it reminds me of growing up in the, my, uh, sitting next to my father in church. I would, uh, as a child, be sitting in church next to my father, and if I started rooching around or getting too antsy as he thought about it, he would just lay his hand on my, on my leg, which meant settle down. And I knew it meant settle down. Okay, And if I didn't, he would just kind of squeeze my leg a little bit to get my attention, to realize his hand was on my, my leg. Okay, uh, If I still didn't get the message, he really squeezed. My hand, somebody said to me this morning, if you squeezed that hard enough that the Coke would have gotten out of, you know, would exploded. It would have, it would have popped a can. I don't have that much strength. My dad used to milk my hand. He had a strong hand. But anyway, he would, he would put his hand and he squeezed till he got my, my obedience. When I got older, I didn't have to sit with my dad anymore. As a teenager, I was allowed to sit wherever I wanted. But I had to sit where he could see me. That was the only rule. I could sit wherever I wanted as long as he could see me. And if the crowd I was with was getting a little noisy or passing notes or doing something that we shouldn't have been doing or whatever, my dad would just glance over at me. I would guide you with my eye, okay? He, he would just look at me until he made eye contact. And that was a little message. I see you. I know what you're doing. You'd better knock it off. And... You know, if I quit, everything was fine. If I persisted, this glance now would become a bit of a a glare. And a little more intense. And he didn't have to say much. I got the message. You're in trouble when you go home if you don't knock this off. All right? uh, But if I continued to ignore it, uh, he was sitting pretty far away. Nothing would happen in church. But when I got home, then there would be issues. Okay? Then more discipline came. We don't have to worry that if we are basically seeking to live our lives for God, that because there are incidental things, I'm not trying to minimize sin, but I'm trying to put it in perspective. If overall we're trying to live for God, we don't have to worry that He's going to knock down our house to deal with one particular issue in our life. We don't have to worry that he's going to slay our kids. We don't have to worry. He starts with the glance of the eye. He moves from the glance of the eye to a little more staring. He moves from the staring to, the psalmist David said, his hand was heavy upon me. He's squeezing the knees. But even the the psalmist David, you see, 
You, you don't have to fear if you are really seeking to live for God. Don't let the fact that every man is sin and comes short of God cause you to live in constant fear of his discipline. That is an awful way to live. And it's very disheartening when trouble and difficulty comes because we can all look at sin that's in our lives. Job was not perfect. But Job was wise enough to know that even though he wasn't perfect, he was not living in gross sin. He was not living in abandonment of God. He was seeking to do the will of God. He was seeking to bring honor and glory to God. He was in a right relationship with God. He'd been praying. Job had not distanced himself from God. He was beseeching God even in the midst of of all that came upon him. Don't fear the discipline of God. Don't think that everything that comes in my life must be God's judgment upon me and my sin. It's good to take account. It's good to look at our lives. It's good to search ourselves. And if we think there's something we need to repent of, ask God for forgiveness. And He will forgive. And will relent if that's what the reason is. But there are so many other reasons. So, what is Job's response going to be to Eliphaz? What's Job going to say to all of this? That's next week. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, thank You for Your Grace and goodness to us. Give us confidence in our relationship with you and guard our hearts and minds, especially against the health and wealth gospel and all those people out there that are telling us if you're right with God, then everything's going to be hunky-dory. And if everything is not right with God, either it's because of our sin or lack of faith. Lord, teach us your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.